All right. John chapter 7, we're picking back up where we left off. So uh, let's, let's dig in. When uh, there was, oh gosh, Kate and I were probably married for, I don't know, maybe a year? Not very long, and we were in Louisville, and we were at one of my family members' house for a big kind of family get-together cookout thing. It was summertime, and we were all outside playing, uh, and uh, I remember, I think I was like swinging a bat or doing something when all of a sudden, um, I, look, I looked down at some point and realized my ring was gone. And I was like, oh gosh, Kate is going to kill me. And so I huddled everyone together and was like, guys, stop what you're doing. We got to find my ring. And so all of us, uh, probably 10, 15 of us, are walking around in the backyard, you know, like this. All of us around, look like her, I don't know, just look silly. We're all walking around like this, like that. And Kate's inside, and we all know, okay, don't say anything. Let's find it before she finds out, and then we can tell her. And, and, and so we're all, we're all walking around like that. And Kate opens the door and comes outside, and we all go, <gasps> we're froze. And she's like, what are y'all doing? And no one said a word. And she says, are y'all playing like zombies or something? <laughs> and we're like, yes, that's what we're doing. Oh. <laughs> And so, and so she goes back inside and, and, and we, keep, we keep looking for it, never find the ring. And so I ended up having to buy another one. Uh, and so she laughs, she goes inside. Um, but she really believes, she goes inside and I remember she, everybody else telling me, she goes inside and goes, y'all, they're out there playing zombies. Isn't that so funny? And so we had to break the news to her later. <laughs> but she was not a part of that inner circle of what was going on. She didn't know the context. She didn't know the circumstances. She could look at what was happening, but was completely confused and dumbfounded as to why we were all walking around the way that we were. And so zombies made sense. Because what else would we be doing like that? You know, I've thought about this before. If aliens... Um, I thought about aliens. If aliens uh, were spying on earth, and so they just happened to look at a church service on a Sunday we were taking the Lord's Supper, they might go back to the superiors and say, humans don't eat very much food. You see, from the outside looking in, it's hard to understand what's going on if you don't have all of the information. One last example. I think you can all relate to this. A lot of times you'll have a group of friends who are all together and they hang out and they do everything together. You know, thickest thieves, you know, hang out all the time. And then one of them gets a girlfriend or a boyfriend. And what happens? All of a sudden you're together and you say, man, we don't see so-and-so anymore. And then someone says, oh yeah, it's because they're always with her. Right? And then, and so you always complain about how, they're, how they're, they never hang out with you anymore. And anytime they do hang out with you, they're always texting her, or they're always talking about her, or they always leave the get-together early because they want to go see her before, you know, the day's over, and that's annoying. Or every time you're together and then she is there, they're always together talking and giggling and laughing and, and not hanging out with you, and she has ruined what you had together as a friend group. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all know. But see, for the couple, they don't feel like anything is wrong. They simply feel in love. 
And so because they're in love, their priorities have changed and they don't feel like they're different people. They're just doing what people in love do. And for them who are on the inside, it feels right. But everyone on the outside, it looks like everything has changed. They look at the outside and they go, man, who has, she has him wrapped around her finger. She has put a spell on him. You see, when you're on the outside looking in on a situation, it is hard to understand what's going on. You can look at something and it can seem weird. It might be uncomfortable. Something can look wrong. But from the outside, you can never really understand. This reality is especially true when it comes to Christianity. This is especially true when it comes to following Jesus. Over the holidays, I had a friend of mine say, uh, you know, every time I go home or go be around my friends and family, I always feel like I'm different. His friends and family aren't very, they're not really in church, they're not really following Jesus. And she said, they always feel like different, like they look at me like I'm weird. And I said to him, man, that's normal. And that's a good thing. And if that wasn't the case, there'd be a problem. You see, Christianity to outsiders is strange. And think about it. We base our entire lives around this idea that God became a man, lived a perfect life, was killed by Romans, and so somehow his death on a Roman cross forgives us of our sins. He was dead, and three days later, his dead, rotting corpse comes back to life. He ascends and flies up into heaven, and now we're waiting for him to come back in the clouds on a wild horse. That's a little strange. Or at least it seems that way. That's a big pill to swallow if you're an outsider. That's why 1 Corinthians says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And later it says, The natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. for They are foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. See, to those who don't believe, to outsiders, our faith, Jesus, Christianity, everything we do seems bizarre. It is strange. But to those of us on the inside, to those who have believed, these truths transform our entire lives so much so that we give all of our lives back to Jesus. The text this morning shows us several ways how people on the outside do not understand or know what to make of Jesus. And the same is true today. So in John chapter 7, in the setting, we find uh, there's a time, this time of a Jewish festival that's happening called uh, the, the um, Festival of Booths, or sometimes referred to as the Festival of Tabernacles. It was a time when Israel would come together, they would gather in Jerusalem, they would uh, build these little shelters, and they would camp, it was like a big camp out. They'd camp out in these little shelters for seven days, and it was a reminder to them of their exodus out of Egypt, when God rescued them out of Egypt and out of slavery. And so as you can imagine, as all of these people from all around are gathering together, they get there, and there is all of this commotion, all this talk, all of this news, because, you know, there's no social media, there's no news. So everybody's talking about what's been going on. And it seems like the talk of the crowd that year was about Jesus. Verse 11 says, the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. Much muttering. So everyone is arriving, and they are seemingly expecting for Jesus to be here and to do something, because he has been all over the place doing things. They're expecting him to show up. And so they're talking about him and who he is. But one of the things you got to remember is this is very early on in Jesus' ministry. 
right? He has a three-year-long ministry. This is pretty early on. But in this short time, he has turned a lot of heads, brought a lot of commotion from performing miracles, doing things on the Sabbath he's technically not supposed to do, supposedly, teaching things that would be, some would consider blasphemy. And so everyone begins to share their thoughts on who and what they think this Jesus is all about. And verse 12 gives us our first opinion. Verse 12 says, some of them said, he is a good man. Now it's easy to read that and think amongst all of the people who are negative about Jesus, all the people who hate Jesus, don't like what he stands for, that when some people stand up and say, he is a good man, we should go, well, at least somebody knows. But that's not the case. Look at all the good he's done, they would say. Look at all the people he's healed. Look at the people he's fed. Look how he's kind to people, they might say. He's a good man. Look at the good things that he's taught. I can hear him say, guys, this is a good man. Y'all leave him alone. He teaches love and peace and sharing. Love your neighbor. And then we read in verse 40, the people, they say, after Jesus teaches, they say, this really is the prophet. See, they heard Jesus teach, and they were so blown away by his ability to speak and to teach with clarity and, and his depth of, of understanding. And he had never been to school, and so they were blown away. And so they're, well, this guy must be a prophet. Here's what I want you to understand. This is a normal perspective on Jesus from outsiders. Outsiders can look at Jesus, and, and, and virtually no one in the world has any problem thinking that Jesus is a good man or a prophet. Think about this. The most staunch atheist would say Jesus was a good person, a good moral teacher, a good leader, and a, a kind person whose teachings we should follow. An atheist would say, yeah, you know, Jesus was right. We should love our neighbor. Think about this. Even a Muslim would agree and say, yes, Jesus was a prophet. He spoke the very words of God. You see, it is not a good thing that this crowd would stand up and say Jesus is a good man or that he was a prophet because in saying and believing those things, they actually still miss who Jesus really was. And what happens as soon as you take it up a notch? What happens as soon as we take it up a notch and say he was actually more than a good teacher, he's more than a prophet? As soon as you say, as soon as you say those things, that Jesus was, was more, that he was actually God, that he was God in the flesh, he was the son of God, that he was fully divine, that he's the Messiah. Nope. Outsiders will say, nope, we're good with him being a good person. We're good with him being a teacher. But to say he's God, to say he's the Messiah, nope, impossible. There's no God that's crazy. We don't believe that. Get that out of here. We don't want any of that. You see, everyone can unite around this good guy, Jesus, prophet gig who tells you to love your neighbor. But as soon as you try to say that Jesus was God in the flesh, it becomes really clear who is on the inside who's on the outside. But if everyone was being honest, if all of these people who are thinking about Jesus and, and who he is and what he stood for, if they were being honest, there is no way to understand Jesus without understanding him to be God. To try and believe in a Jesus that is not divine, but only a good prophet, is to ignore the things that Jesus actually said. Seven times in the book of John alone, Jesus says, I am, I am. He says, he calls himself I am, which if you know your Bible, you know in the Old Testament when God told Moses who he was, he said, tell them, tell your people that I am, that I am. That's my name, I am. Ego a me in 
the Greek. And Jesus here uses that exact phrase seven times in the book of John to tell them, I am God, that is my name, I am the I am. So to simply believe that Jesus is a good man is to ignore his own claims. It's lazy thinking or at best ignorance. And our characters do this in the story. The religious leaders on the day, on this day, they refute that Jesus could be the Messiah because he was from Galilee and he wasn't born in Bethlehem. But wait a minute. I think he was. Then they say that he couldn't be it because he's from the wrong family. He's not in the line of David. But wait a minute. I think he is. You see, it's ignorance or it's just lazy thinking. You see, the world is being confronted with Jesus every single day. And they have to assess him. They have to decide who they think this Jesus is. But for outsiders who are looking in, they can't understand that Jesus would be anything more than a good teacher like Gandhi or Buddha. To outsiders, to the world, a divine Jesus is foolish. And no matter the evidence that is put in front of them, they will refuse to see the truth. But now there's another group, another group of people saying the same, something else about Jesus. Verse 12, others said, no, he is leading people astray. And in verse 20, they go as far as to say that Jesus was possessed by a demon. See, now we see people that don't like or see any good in what Jesus is doing. They think he's manipulative. They think Jesus is a fraud. They think he's hurting people. They think he's demon possessed and he's leading people astray. And that makes sense, actually, if you think about it. Think about this. When someone follows Jesus, what happens? Their life is completely turned upside down and changed. When you follow Jesus for the first time, your priorities changed, your schedule changed, your interests changed. You spent your money and time on different things. The way you speak and the way you talk changed. The way you treat other people changed. You stop doing old things and bad habits and you started doing new things. It's almost as if you were a completely different person. And so what happens when someone follows Jesus is that there's often uh, division in families, right? There's often division and frustration within friend groups and within families. And here's the sad truth that both then and today, when people who are outsiders to Christianity see someone they know go under that sort of transformation, they don't like it. They think something's wrong. They think, oh, that church has brainwashed my friend, has brainwashed my son. Outsiders get mad. They feel like they've lost this friend or this family member to Jesus because their friend's not the same anymore. And so what do they think? They think this church has led them astray. This church has messed them up. And so outsiders now look on the inside with hatred and disdain for this brainwashing church because they feel like they've ruined their friend. See, outsiders don't understand how the gospel so transforms us from the inside out that we're completely different. And so when they look at it, they think something fishy has to be going on. I, got, I, had, a, I had a friend in the Navy, Zach, in, in Virginia, and, and Zach was uh, training to be a Navy SEAL. And so he was a big dude. All right, and so he's in the Navy, he's a big dude, and, you know, doing what you do in the Navy, being rowdy or whatever. And Zach came to know Jesus, and he's at our church, and he comes to know Jesus, and one day he's got a buddy who has had a few too many, and he, he calls him, and he says, hey, man, I just got to ask you a question. 
What's wrong with you, man? What? Something's changed. You're different. What's wrong with you, man? Zach's like, man, what, I don't understand what you're talking about. What do you mean? He said, man, you're just happy all the time. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you're just always happy. You see, outsiders cannot understand when someone's life has been transformed by Jesus. And so it makes sense when they say, he's led them astray. He's changed them. Sometimes outsiders so cannot understand that it drives them to extreme ends. I wish I had time to tell you this whole story. I got to do it abbreviated. Uh, Some of you have heard this. Nathan's brother works at a camp in North Carolina and there was a man from, what's the country? Chile? I can't say it. I shouldn't say it. I can't say it. So he's from a country that's not America and um, gets saved, goes to that country. Um, begin, can I talk about this or not? Okay. Um, I won't say any names. He goes to that country. Um, this is like still an active thing is why I might not be able to talk about it. Um, he, he, so he gets saved. He goes back to his country, and he leads a whole bunch of people to Jesus. Like he's just on fire, going around this country, leading people to Jesus left and right. Well, his dad finds out, and I think they're, I think they're Muslim. His dad finds out and calls the family meeting. They all get together, and they're in this tent, and uh, his dad basically is going to kill him. Like, gonna, like take a gun and blow his head off because he believes in Jesus. And he's asking his uncle, his brother, to do it for him. And um, as you can tell, this room is getting tense. And his brother says, no, I can't do it. The dad's brother says, no, I can't do it because I believe too. And he says, okay, well, well and, then the, and then the mom stands up and says, well, I believe too. And the sister stands up and says, I believe too. And so now the dad's at number and he lets it go. But then a couple days later, the dad sends a text to this, to this guy and he says, hey, I've been looking at your Bible. I want to talk about it. So the son goes and to meet with the dad. When he gets there, there's a strange car parked out front. He's not really sure what to think about that, but he goes inside anyway, talks to his dad about Jesus. And when he gets there, there's three men who kidnap him, take him away, and for the next few days begin to torture him. And then his dad pays one of them to kill him. See, outsiders don't understand when Jesus transforms a life. Now, thankfully, one of these men in God's providence turned on the other two, killed the other two guys, and set the guy free. And so now he's kind of in hiding, still preaching, still teaching, but kind of laying low. So that's why I got to be careful. Outsiders do not understand when a life is transformed by Christ. They look at it, and they're hurt, they're confused, they feel betrayed, they don't like it, they don't understand And to an outsider, all they can see is that this Jesus is leading my friend or my family astray. That's why Jesus said he came not to bring peace but a sword, to divide father and son, sister and brother. To follow Jesus is to follow the priorities of another kingdom. And that is why the people of this world cannot understand why you are the way you are. The world looks at you, brothers and sisters, and they think you're strange. They think you're weird. It's okay, because you are. You believe a guy came back from the dead. On the last day of the festival, they've been sleeping in these shelters. They've been reminding themselves of God's deliverance from Egypt. 
And now the last day has come. And what they do on the last day, they probably paraded all the way up to the temple. And uh, they got there. They would have been reading some psalms, some messianic psalms, looking forward to the day the Messiah would come to redeem them again, um, uh, like they were redeemed in Egypt. And they would have done this thing called the water uh, libation, where they would all have this, these cups of water and poured out this water as a reminder of God's provision and, and faithfulness to cross the Red Sea and all that. And, and picture this, in this moment where they're reading these texts by the temple, these, reading these passages of scripture about the one who would come to deliver them, and they're pouring out this water, Jesus gets up in front of everyone and he says to them, if anyone thirsts, they're pouring out the water, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of water. See, Jesus is telling him that the one you're reading about is me. The soul-quenching deliverer you've been waiting thousands of years for has come. And it seems that there are a couple people that believe or at least wonder, could this be the Christ? But many of them question, they doubt. Many of them argue away and miss out on Jesus' invitation. They look at Jesus as outsiders and all they hear is the preaching of a cultist leader asking them to drink special water and live. And it sounds like Jim Jones asking them to drink the Kool-Aid. See, many people today hear the call of Jesus, come to me, live, drink, be healed. There's no other way to come through me. They hear that instead of believing, instead of saying, it must be the only way to find life, to be delivered from the curse of this world. Instead of saying, okay, let me jump in, they say, how dare he? How dare he claim to be the only way? There are so many different ways to God. Who is this Jesus to make such an exclusive claim like that? You see, outsiders hate the exclusive claims of Jesus, that he's the only way to God, because if true, if that were true, it would mean they would have to submit their thoughts, their beliefs, their actions to him alone, and they don't want to do that. To an outsider, saying Jesus is the only way is the cardinal sin. It's the old-fashioned, they would say. It's wrong. It's mean. It can't be true, because look at all these other ways to connect to God. Who are you to say he's the only way? To which we might reply, when the man who has raised himself from the dead says something, you listen. See, outsiders can't understand Jesus, and they can't understand his followers. They're cool with Jesus being a moral teacher. They're cool with Jesus being a prophet. They're cool with Jesus uh, uh, being those types of things. But as soon as you say He's the only way to God. As soon as you say he is God, as soon as you show that your life is changed and different, to an outsider they say it's all foolishness, that you're being brainwashed. But to us who are being saved, it is the gift of God. It's interesting. This chapter begins and ends with two different people that are fascinating. It begins with Jesus' brothers. And his brothers are telling him, the text is clear, that his brothers do not believe him. His brothers, all right, Joseph and Mary's other children, do not believe Jesus and what he's saying about himself. And so they're saying, well, hey, why don't you just go on up to the festival and tell everybody who you are? They're trying to call his bluff and say, stop hiding out over here out in the country. Go up there where everybody is and just tell them. If that really is who you are, just don't be afraid, go do it. Call his bluff. But then the chapter ends with the man that we've seen before, Nicodemus. 
chapter 3, Nicodemus was the guy that it was nighttime and he sneaks and he goes under the cover of darkness to find Jesus and, and talk to Jesus. And Jesus basically says, hey, listen, you ain't never going to be holy or good enough. You're gonna have, if you want to get to heaven, you got to be born again. Nicodemus is like, can I get back in my mother's womb? Jesus is like, no, you don't really have any control over it. It's something God has to do to you. But now see what Nicodemus says in this text. It's been some time since Nicodemus has talked to Jesus, and he says, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus before, who was uh, one of them, he was one of the Pharisees, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Then they replied, are you from Galilee to search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee? You see, in this final scene, the Pharisees are dismissing Jesus' claims to be Messiah. Jesus has stood up and said, I'm the water, drink of me. And they say, nope, you weren't born in Bethlehem, you're from Galilee, can't be you. And in their ignorance, they don't realize that he was born in Bethlehem. And so in the midst of their disputing Jesus, Nicodemus says, guys, maybe we should listen. Maybe we should just hear him out and see what he has to say. Maybe he's telling the truth. And they rebuke him and call him an idiot, basically. But do you know what we find in chapter 19 of this book? Jesus has been put to death. And there is a guy named Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus who take his body, wrap it up, pour spices and herbs and and perfume over it and put him in a tomb. While all of the rest of the Pharisees are cheering and are excited that they've finally gotten rid of this pesk, there is Nicodemus taking care of Jesus. And it would seem as though Nicodemus slowly over time moves from being an outsider to an insider. But not only him, but the brothers of Jesus, who in this chapter don't believe in him eventually, believe, become devout worshipers of their brother. And one of them even writes a book in the New Testament. You see, to the world, to those outside of Christianity, those far from Jesus, the idea of following a 2,000-year-old dead and resurrected Jewish man seems ludicrous. But to those who have seen, to those who have tasted the water Jesus offers, know that not only is Jesus not foolish to believe in, he's the only source of life and peace that there is. So what has to change that you're no longer on the outside looking in at all of us fools? What has to change in someone's life so they're not on the outside looking in at a bunch of silly people? Verse 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. You see, the only way to know whether or not Christianity, this thing of Jesus is actually crazy, if it's foolish or not, is to come let your guard down, stop arguing your points, stop critiquing the claims to come with your hands and heart open, ready to try it, taste and see if it's true or not. Taste and see if he's good or not. Taste the living water, he says, will quench the thirst of your soul. See, if you stay on the outside, Christianity will never make sense to you. You will remain dumbfounded and stumped as you try to understand why any of us sacrifice so much of our lives to follow this man. But if you will take one step in his direction, one scary step and bring no preconditions with your mind and heart open, willing to change, 
you will find yourself no longer on the outside confused. You will find yourself on the inside made new, and it will finally all make sense. In World War II, there was a um, Japanese soldier who was um, sent to the Philippine, uh, Philippine Island, one of the Philippine Islands, and he had orders under no condition are you to ever surrender to the Americans. And so uh, over some time, his, his comrades, his guys with him died, and he was by himself left alone. What he didn't know was that the war actually had ended, but he was still in the jungle. And so after a couple years, search parties came out for him, but he just thought it was a trap. He thought it was a trick, and so he hid, and he wouldn't go out. After some more time, the Japanese would actually send a plane over the Philippines and drop little leaflets, little notes, newspapers, showing him the war is over, you can come out. And he just thought it was American propaganda trying to trick him to come out and be captured. He lived in that jungle for 29 years. All the truth slapping him in the face and he would not listen until his old commanding officer marched out into the jungle and looked at him and he said, I release you from duty. The war is over. Come home. Only then did he come out of the jungle to learn that the war had been over for 29 years. The truth looks foolish to those on the outside. And the only way you get to come in is when someone extends their hand the right time and the right moment and the right way. It says, won't you just take one little step? And when they come with their heart and their mind open, open to believing and trusting, they'll see with new eyes that all those things that once seemed foolish, strange, weird, are actually the best gift and the best news they could ever hear or receive. Brothers and sisters, when the world sees you, it will think you're strange. That you believe weird things, and it's normal for them to look at you that way. Because you're no longer of this world. To outsiders, Christianity looks strange and problematic. And it takes an open heart to come and see that the strangeness is exactly what you need. And now it is your job to extend a hand, to invite all of those on the outside to come in and see for themselves that the water really is that good to come and drink. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you are a God of truth and that the truth in this world seems silly, it seems strange, it seems ludicrous that we would believe in such things, that we would believe that you would send your son, that you, God, would become flesh, that you would uh, give up your throne. It seems strange that you would allow yourself to be brutally executed by Romans. And it seems strange that we believe that you had the power to bring yourself back from the dead. It seems strange that we still await you to return one day in the clouds. It seems strange that we think evil could be defeated, but it is the truth, and it is the power of God, the gift of God. And Father, if there's any in this room right now who don't know that gift, 
who they've looked out at Christianity and they thought, man, this stuff is strange. It's just weird. I want no part of it. I'm okay with Jesus being a good teacher. I'm okay with Jesus being a prophet. But I have problems with him being the only way. I have problems with him being God. I have problems with the way he changes people's lives radically. But now you look and you say, but, but maybe, maybe it's true. I just want to, like Nicodemus, maybe I should just consider it. Maybe I should just listen. If you would, with open heart and open mind, take one little baby step in his direction, he will open your eyes and you will see that what you saw as ludicrous and silly and strange is actually true. And it's the best news you could ever hear. God loves you and he wants to forgive you. But maybe some of you in this room, I want to extend my hand. Just come up here. There's men on the sides. I'm up here. Let us help you see. Come up here and talk to us. There may be some of you in this room. You have family members over the holidays. You've got friends been trying to extend your hand to them. You've been trying, trying, and trying to help them to see the truth, but they just look at it and look at you like you're crazy. They just think you're silly, and the things you believe are silly and old-fashioned, and they don't get it. I want you to know that is normal. But Maybe this morning you need to come up here with me or just come up here and kneel and pray. God, would you open their eyes to see that this thing is not crazy, this thing is true. Come up here and pray your heart out to God. Save so-and-so. Open their eyes. Let them see. So they will stop thinking it's nuts and see that it's good. Let's pray because the Lord has the power to open the eyes of the blind that they would see. Like he did Nicodemus, like he did his own brothers. It may take time. We believe God can do it. However, the Lord would how we'd respond this morning. This front is open. We'd love to pray with you. You just need to stand and sing, do that. Father, give us the courage to respond. In Jesus' name we pray all these people said. Stand and sing.